what if you had an extremely important job that no one really acknowledged? You're responsible for other people's lives and well-being, and you consistently work overtime, but you don't get paid. In fact, you're often made to feel as if your job isn't a job at all, and you're not very skilled, and you're not contributing much to your society. If you are now or have been an at-home parent, you might recognize this job description. This is Where Was I? A podcast about a parenting transition we are calling Empty Nest Version 1.0. I'm Angela Arsenault. And I'm Jessica Tickton. In our last episode, we heard Lauren Pricer wonder where an at-home parent can turn for assurance that the work they do has value. There's a ton of self-doubt and questioning oneself. And because it's not a nine-to-five regular job where you're getting quarterly reviews and you have a a boss who's giving you feedback, you, you have to find the feedback somewhere else, but the only place is from yourself or from your kids or from your husband, all of which are not ideal. We view the devaluation of caregiving as a two-pronged issue. First, there's the cultural aspect, meaning that our society tends to view caregiving as less important than most other work. Secondly, there's the way caregivers unconsciously or inadvertently buy into that belief. We start feeling that the work we're doing is somehow less valuable than paid work, less important than work outside of the home. Angela and I wondered if maybe one of the best ways to turn the tide is for all of us, the caregivers, the primary parents, to really understand the actual value, not the perceived value, of caring for our children. Of course, we knew when we decided to leave the workforce. We knew exactly how important and beneficial it was for us to be with our children. But over time, the many cultural signifiers chip away at that confidence. How can we get it back? Jessica and I felt there was no one better suited to answer this question than Anne-Marie Slaughter. You might know her best as the author of the super popular 2012 Atlantic Magazine article, Why Women Still Can't Have It All. In 2015, she wrote the critically acclaimed Unfinished Business, Women, Men, Work, Family. She's also the president and CEO of New America. There's sort of two tangled up messages. One is that the work of caregiving is easy or anyone can do it. Mm-hmm. And two is that it's less important than, than earning, um, earning money. And so it really does require a kind of the same kind of pushback against cultural attitudes that we've seen over the last five decades uh, in terms of pushing back over how we value women and what we think about women. And we used to think women were inferior to men. And we've done a pretty good job of pushing back against those um, attitudes. We still have a ways to go. But um, this is the uh, um, this is the same kind of cultural push. So that's the first thing I'd say is this is not, this is not easy and it, it requires a really concerted effort. Uh, but the second thing I would say is then I think we need to think about this. Um, you remember the original feminist uh, argument was the personalist political? Well, the personalist political here, too, uh, in the sense that 
caring for others, particularly, certainly it's, it's easiest to see when we look at caring for, for children, is actually investing in the social capital of the country for the next generation, the human capital. Yeah. And from a policy point of view, there really isn't anything more important that we do. Uh, and so if I were, and that, that is not a, a hard proposition uh, to get people to understand. You say, you know, if we're going to be competitive in the next generation, we have to have uh, productive, intelligent, creative workers. If we're going to be secure in the next generation, we're going to need, you know, intelligent, educated soldiers. Uh, if we're going to be equal in the next generation, we need to give all our children as much of an equal uh, pla- you know, basis for learning for life as we can. And all of that depends on good care. Did you hear that? There isn't anything more important you could do than to provide excellent care for your children. It is the most important investment any of us can make in the future of our society. Learning this really changed the way I feel about the work I've done as a stay-at-home mom. And we'll come back to this extremely important message in a moment. Anne-Marie has another vital message for those of us wondering how we can begin to understand the real value of the work we do as caregivers. Insist that other people do too. I think it's not fair to put it all on at-home moms. Mm -hmm. I think what you have to do is to start by saying everybody who is spending a significant amount of time, uh, you know, giving care, whether that's, again, you know, a full-time at-home parent or a part-time parent, but that they, they absolutely start standing up for the importance of the work they do, you know, sort of essentially like rejecting what I quote in my book where, where, you know, these women who were used to be journalists or, or lawyers or whatever, and then they're full-time at home, and, and I quote this one woman saying, I just feel like a nobody because nobody's yeah. paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. Part of that is pushing back and just saying, well, you know, uh, you know I'm now, uh, that's one reason I like the idea of lead parent because it, it immediately says it's not a mother, it's a parent, and, you know, you're taking the lead on something you need to do. But I think equally your husband or our husbands, or depending on the configuration, um, to say, you know, we have to see this collectively this way. So that you, so it isn't, um, it isn't, it, it isn't seen as, well, at-home moms want more respect. It's mm-hmm. we as a society <laughs> know this intellectually, but we're not acting that way. Right. You know, we're not, we're, and, and I always say, you know, when people say to me, I'm at home with my kids, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a coach, whatever it is, I now not only say, but think, that's incredibly important work. I'm so glad you're doing it. <laughs> um, the other thing I think you can use is that it's a public good. In other words, the work you do with your children, when, we have, when people raise productive, healthy, contributing uh, adults, the whole society benefits. Right, and so in a way, society's free riding off the efforts of the the people who do that, uh, and the very least we can do is provide you know the social respect and prestige, and and then from there, absolutely, you move to the policy, you know, as, as I quote the Norwegian family minister at the end of the book saying, "We in Norway have realized this is really important work, and we think we should pay for it." <laughs> yes. yes, yeah. 
Yeah. But I would, so I guess what I'd say is let's not just limit this conversation to moms no. or at-home moms. Let's, let's start from the beginning, you know, insisting uh, that, you know, husbands make, make the same point. Uh, managers make the same point when people say, you know, I'm going to be taking time now. I'm going to be spending more time uh, taking care of my kids or my parents or an ill spouse. again. Are you letting it in? I want you, I want all of my friends to hear and know that the caregiving work you do is so very important. Economist Heather Boucher further supports this message in her 2016 book, Finding Time. She writes that, quote, what happens inside families is just as important to making the economy hum along as what happens inside firms. She calls the stay-at-home parent America's silent partner. Feeling so fired up about this, I had to ask Anne-Marie, why doesn't our culture already see this? Why don't we already value this investment in human capital above all else? What is the deal with the historical prejudice Anne-Marie refers to in her book? <laughs> you know, it is, it is hard um, to, to answer, although I think part of it is we used to, but we used to when, when it was clear that that was, that was a woman's work. So in other words, I think the reason we've moved away from it is that we're afraid that by, you know, returning to a, uh, you know, a world in which we say, absolutely, you know, the job of raising children at home is just as important as the job of bringing in an income from the office. Most women are afraid that will set women back, Mm -hmm. that, that it, that it's going back to the 1950s, which again, it's somewhat mythical because there were plenty of women who had to work, you know, both inside the home and outside the home. Um, but that, that, you know, there was, I think there, there, you know, there was a time, there are groups in this country who would say, well, absolutely, the work that, you know, a parent does is just as important as the work in an office, but they tend to be groups that see that work as women's work, right? So what they're really saying is women belong in the home and a woman's work is, is in the home is, you know, whether it's biblical uh, or cultural you know, it's just as valuable as a man's in the office, and that's seen as a way of that really that, that we're heading backwards, right. uh, which is why I always emphasize this is right, but it, it, it has to be approached now as work that is equally important for women and men to do, so that you're, you're, say, you're, you're really building on the progress we've made and, and saying, yeah, well, okay, we've advanced women in all sorts of ways, but, you know, we, no pun intended, and it really is a, a bad pun, but we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater, right? <laughs> I mean, in this process, <laughs> you know, we, in this process, we've managed to devalue the work that women traditionally did. That was wrong. It was right to say that women shouldn't be restricted to doing it. Uh, that women should have lots and lots and lots of opportunities, but it was it was wrong to to imply and or to say that this work is is not important work. Uh, but I think that's where we're caught that that it's obvious, but that to um, make the point is seen as retrograde, retrograde from a feminist point of view, whereas I see it as the next 
the next step, the logical next step. And honestly, if women had run the world from the first place, we'd never be having this conversation. (laughs) 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 I mean, really, think about it. Like, women were in charge. Like, don't you think that we would have said it was socially valuable to invest in raising children and caring for others that we would have a, you know, we'd have a different set of government policies? Of course we would. As girls growing up in the 80s and 90s, we were fed the message, you can do anything and be anything. We didn't have to settle for less than our highest ambitions. Unlike our grandmothers or even mothers, being female meant being equal. We went to college and graduate school or law school, and we had choices unlike any previous generation of women. And yet, for those of us who did choose to opt out of a career to raise our children, we were still looked down upon, considered less than our female counterparts who forged ahead up the career ladder. When our children enter school and we are ready to get back to work, many of us feel as if we are being penalized for that choice, like it isn't as respected as the choice to stay on the career track. There doesn't seem to be room in our current culture for both to be good and important choices. I was curious how Anne-Marie Slaughter would speak to this issue. As I think about it, I'd say you've gone from being educated women to being educated and wise women, right? I mean, there's book, there's book knowledge and there's hard-earned wisdom. And in my, my experience, being a parent has been so hard in places, places that, you know, I have three advanced degrees. I have an M, you know, an MPhil, a PhD, and a law degree. And there have been plenty of situations as a mother where, you know, none of that is the least bit of good. It, it requires a kind of, yeah. you know, a, a practical wisdom, a an emotional intelligence. Uh, you know, honestly, I wish I knew more about uh, the neuroscience because I think I'd have been a better parent if I understood, nope, my teenager really can't take that in. I'm reasoning with him, but, right. you know, it's, it's a one-sided conversation. Um So what I think of is, you know, as I said, you're educated and now you're wise and you're experienced and there is so much room or there, let me put that, rephrase that. There should be so much room for building on the early education and skills, adding in all the, um, what you've gotten from being a full-time parent or, or even just a primary or lead parent. In back in the workplace, and this is why I always look at Hillary Clinton and say, you know, look, she didn't run for Senate until Chelsea went to college. Why can't we think of all women or many women as having this phase three when their kids are grown and either completely out of the house or old enough to, to you know, be self, more self-reliant, where women, and I would hope increasingly men, can kind of turn on the gun and put their foot on the gas again and really um, grow in their professions. And there are plenty of uh, anecdotal accounts of firms that have hired or rehired uh, people who are in that position and found that these are just wonderful employees. Having been so personally inspired and frankly quite empowered by Anne-Marie Slaughter's words, I was curious to hear how she might counsel a friend through this transition. Where, where we started, push back against all those messages you're getting. 
And, and in my book, I, I said it was astounding to me that I was getting negative messages from having left a high-powered State Department job to return to being a full-time tenured professor at an Ivy League university. <laughs> right. And I was suddenly very aware that I was, you know, I had slipped in people's estimation. But, you know, I, I have had enough accolades in my life to sort of think, wait a minute, the problem is not with me, the problem is with you. And the first thing I would say is, look, push back. Take confidence in what you know you can do and why you made the choices you made and the fact that you can point to your children or to your, again, to your parents, to whoever you were caring for as, you know, that they are such important evidence of the value of the work you've done. One man wrote to me and he said, I quit my job when the, it was clear to me that the growth potential of my children was much greater than the growth potential of my company. Oh, wow. And I, I just love that. You know, I think, yes, that's right. So that's the first thing I'd say is, you know, get, get your game face on, but really think about, look, you know, I, I have grown in this time. And I've grown in ways and I've done things that were valuable, uh, even if society doesn't recognize it. One more thought on the incredible contributions that Anne-Marie Slaughter has made to the conversation around the valuation of caregiving. Throughout the production of this podcast, Angela and I struggled to find a term to describe a parent who cares for her children full-time. We know that stay-at-home parent is the most commonly used phrase, but it's certainly not the most accurate. Thankfully, Anne-Marie spent time thinking about this terminology as well and came up with the phrase that we'll be using from now on, lead parent. I came up with lead parent and spent a lot of time trying to figure out what was both more attractive, I think, in a culture that values leadership, uh, particularly when it's men or women, but also trying to to focus on parenting as this incredibly socially valuable asset. So we won't include it here, but I will admit to gushing at the end of this interview and in all sincerity, expressing our gratitude to Anne-Marie Slaughter for leading this conversation. We're so thankful to have an advocate, such a well-spoken and experienced advocate. We're curious to know if there's anyone else we should be listening to. Have you been inspired by someone or empowered by someone? If so, let us know on our Facebook page or leave a comment at parent.co slash where was I? On our next episode, we speak to Amy Cuddy, author of Presence, Bringing Your Boldest Self to Your Biggest Challenges, and whose 2012 TED Talk is the second most viewed of all time. Among other fascinating issues she studies as a social scientist, we were especially interested in asking her about imposter syndrome in regards to lead parents re-entering the workforce. Stay tuned for that next time on Where Was I? Thanks for listening.